0: Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1076 of the Juice Box Podcast. Clarin has had type 1 diabetes for 18 years, since she was 12 years old. She's in her fourth of her fifth year of residency. She's a surgeon, and she's got type 1 diabetes some thyroid issues, and a great story. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Apple podcast listeners, if you're using that Apple podcast app, I need you to do me a favor. With the last update to iOS 17, the podcast app changed and it might've mucked up your downloading. Go to your library, touch Juicebox Podcast, touch the top uh, right corner, the three dots, then choose settings. After settings, automatically download. After you choose that, click on all new episodes, and then everything will be back to the way it should be. Thank you very much for doing that. Uh, In return, you can get 40% off of all of your comfortable clothes at CozyEarth.com when you use the offer code Juicebox to check out. There's also sheets and towels and just a ton of great stuff. I'm just kidding. That would have, that happens whether you do the thing in the podcast app or not. But the thing in the podcast app would really help me. Apple made some changes to settings, and to be blunt, it's uh, not good for me. And what it's not good for me, it is not good for you because you want this podcast and I want to make it for you. This episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Dexcom. Dexcom, of course, makes the Dexcom G7 and G6 continuous glucose monitoring systems. And moreover, it's amazing. Dexcom.com slash juicebox. My daughter's wearing the G7 right now. It's small and lovely. You're going to want to take a harder look at it at dexcom.com slash juicebox. Links in the show notes, links at juiceboxpodcast.com. The podcast is also sponsored today by AG1. That's drinkag1.com slash juice You can start your day the same way I do with a delicious, refreshing drink of AG1. Get five free travel packs and a year's supply of vitamin D with your first order when you use my link.
1: I'm Claren. I'm 20. Nope, not 29 anymore. I just turned 30 this past year. Happy birthday. Um, Thank you. Well, it's been a while now. I'm just still not used to being 30.
0: Then I take it back. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's not an unhappy thing. But, uh, 30 years old, I have had diabetes since I was 12, uh, diagnosed a few months after my 12th birthday in sixth grade. Wow. 18. And so, yeah, going on, 18. I think it's actually been 18 years Yeah, as of January. Yeah.
0: And you're only 30. So,
1: and I'm 30. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that reminds, that reminds me of when, uh, a doctor said to me once, like, don't worry, like complications from type one don't come for like 30 years. And I was like, but she's, yeah. she's two. Right, and he looked at me. I'm like, "So you mean she'll be 32?" And he yeah. go, and he goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's not comforting." And I went, "Right, thank you, <laughs> <laughs> terrific bedside manner. Thanks a lot." Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, even just that long ago, expectations for diabetes aren't even what they what they are now. Which is, oh, absolutely not. Yeah, really cool. I'm sorry. Good. So you were 18 years ago, mm-hmm. 12 years old, or 12? Yes. What yes,
1: else? 12, and. I started with the pins. I think I did. Actually, I didn't have pins when I started. I remember drawing insulin out of vials and used, I believe, Humalog or Novolog, and that was maybe the beginning of like Levemir. So I think that's what I started with. Mm-hmm. Did that for a while, um, and then got switched to the pins, and then got my first pump when I was actually in college, in undergrad. And then went back off the pump because I was tired of it being on me twenty four seven. And then I went to medical school where things got more complicated, and that's when I went back on the pump, and mm-hmm. I've been on ever since.
0: Yeah, you, know, you just made me realize. You just made me realize Arden's never seen an insulin pen in her life. Wow, she, she was diagnosed it too. They gave her syringes. Mm-hmm. No one ever like suggested there was something else, and then she got right on Omnipod. How
1: about that? Yeah. Huh. I did pins for quite some time. So I'd say I probably did pins for longer than I've had a pump at this point, but we're probably catching up. It's probably about half and half.
0: And you've gone off and off and on with the pump. What was your first pump?
1: Uh, The first pump was a Medtronic. It was blue. I can't remember what the model name was, Hmm. but it was much different than the ones now. It was kind of generic and or like basic i should say i know it didn't have like a color screen or anything and that was probably like 2011 wow. that i was on that maybe 2012 did that for a few years and then um i just didn't want it was a tubed pump i didn't want it anymore and went back to pins and i was doing okay with the pins i wasn't doing great but i did okay and then like i said got busy when i went to medical school i actually got a dexcom before i got back on the pump and then it just made everything a lot easier yeah um, and actually what triggered me going back on the pump the second time is I was diagnosed with Graves disease hmm. and had a really hard time controlling blood sugars. And it was kind of a missed diagnosis initially because my thyroid labs were, I had all the symptoms of Graves, but when we checked my labs the first time they were normal. So I like went three, three more months. Um, I was tachycardic or And just ended up having a cardiology workup because they were like, well, we don't know why your heart rate's 120 all the time. And then we're like, let's just recheck the thyroid labs. And at that point, um, they're like, oh, yeah, this is Graves. This totally makes sense. So that was when I went back on the pump and I've been on it since. And I'm on a tandem.
0: This actually happened to Arden. Not exactly the same, but she got her hypothyroid uh, diagnosis and, you know, lived with it going along just fine. And then she started to, I don't know if I've ever been really clear about this or not, but Arden was a very tiny person. And Mm -hmm. then she got her thyroid diagnosis. They put her on Synthroid and she grew like a lot. So Arden Mm -hmm. went from being the tiniest kid in her school to uh, she's as an adult, five, seven. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she gains weight as she gets taller. And now I know looking back, of course, her. Synthroid needs would have gone up because of the the mass change in her weight. And mm-hmm. um, instead, she ends up getting a full cardiac workup for her thyroid symptoms. Right. Yeah. Which was upsetting, as you may be able to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So Graves, how, how does Graves come on?
1: Well, it was, I started noticing, actually, it was my heart rate. I was like sitting in class one day. Um, and I just realized like, man, I kind of feel like I'm a little tired. Like my my heart feels like it's racing and you know, the Apple watches, you can click your heart rate. And it was like sitting at like 120 just into a lecture. And I was like, this is weird. And so I kind of brushed it off. I was exercising quite a bit at that time. Um, and so I was then noticing that like when I was working out, my heart rate was going like way higher than it had been in the past. So it was kind of a few weeks of figuring that out. Um, and and I was like, this isn't normal. And then I started having, I was losing weight as well. Like I said, I was working out and I was like, man, I just, I'm doing good, a good job. Mm-hmm. And then I went to see my endocrinologist or I think just like a r- routine checkup. And I kind of explained the symptoms to her and she was like, yeah, well, it could be a thyroid. And I don't know if it, I was due for my yearly labs or whatever, but we ended up checking them and they were normal. And she was like, I don't really know what to tell you, but just see how it goes. And then I was referred to cardiology. I did like the whole Holter monitor and got an echo and everything. And of course it was normal other than having just a mild fast heart rate. Um, And then I started having like a lot of anxiety too. Mm -hmm. And then shortly after that, I've always been a very like type A prompt person. And there was two or three occasions where I was late for work um, or late for my rotations that I was on. And my roommates who I lived with were also medical students. And there was one instance where I had just overslept and like I, I got up late and they were still home and wh- like they couldn't understand like what I was saying. Like I wasn't making sense when I was talking. And we think retrospectively, what happened is I may have had like some kind of seizure and I was in like a post ictal state when I woke up. And that was the reason I overslept an alarm because I don't have any have any recollection of this. And so I think I was having just such wild blood sugar swings in addition to the tachycardia and the anxiety and the sweats, and it all just like mounted to be this Graves diagnosis.
0: Wow, that's Um, crazy. That's so interesting. I mean, for me, not for you. It's terrible for you. It's interesting. It's fine now. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I do have a question. Um, what, Mm -hmm. What was it like to like suddenly be hit with a wave of anxiety? I'm assuming you weren't an anxious person prior. If you're a longtime listener, you probably know that I've been drinking AG1 for a couple of years. Not only did it replace my multivitamin, but I love that every scoop also includes prebiotics and digestive enzymes for gut support. You know what? There's magnesium in there too, vitamin B. It's it's just a good mix and it's easy to drink and tastes great. I mix my AG1, just a scoop, with some cold water right from the refrigerator, you know, Shake it up real good in the shaker bottle that they gave me with my first order, and it goes right down. I know some of you are probably thinking, oh, I don't know, what does that taste like? But I have a very particular palate, and I enjoy AG1. It is not difficult for me to drink, not in the least. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash juicebox. That's drinkag1.com slash juicebox. Check it out. Hey, it's the end of the year. Good time to be buying stuff with your medical insurance. You've probably already fulfilled your deductible. The rest of the year is, you know, no out of pocket. You know what I'm saying? Maybe this is a perfect time to check out Dexcom. Dexcom.com slash juicebox. Whether you're looking for the Dexcom G6 or G7, my link is the way to go. Once you get there, you can just simply click get started or take a look around. Because the new Dexcom G7 is fabulous. Dexcom G7 helps us to manage Arden's diabetes confidently. It's an easier way to manage diabetes without finger sticks. Dexcom G7 is a simple CGM system that delivers real-time glucose numbers to your smartphone or your smartwatch no finger sticks required effortlessly see your glucose levels and where they're headed so you can make smarter decisions about food and activity in the moment dexcom.com/ juicebox there's videos there's information you look around you can see how the app looks right there on oh wow that's nice actually it's like a little graphic it shows you how the um oh look at that it shows you how the clarity app works this is a new graphic I hadn't seen this one before. Anyway, you're going to love it. Dexcom.com slash When you're using my link, you're supporting the podcast. And that is very much appreciated. Don't forget once you're there, hit that get started button. Watch this. I'm going to tell you Arden's blood sugar right now. My phone is in front of me. It's laying down. She's not here. She's at a friend's. Ready? Watch this. Pick up my phone. Swipe up. Phone opens. Blood sugar, 97. And stable. Amazing right there on my iPhone. You got an iPhone? You might have an Android. You can use either one. You know you want to learn more. Check out my link.
1: I'm baseline kind of anxious, but I think it's like the amount of anxiety that makes me functional. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just always like, go, go, go. And like I said, very type A. And it's just my baseline level anxiety is just my normal. So... But, but it was it just much a, worse. It,
0: but was it like shock? And by the way, wait a like strong, strong title possibility. Baseline anxious. <laughs> you're, gonna have, you're gonna have to do something else to get us off of that one. But was it enough that it was like a conscious thought? Like I'm not usually this anxious. Like
1: I, yeah, I noticed a difference, and what? it was I was just a lot more. Like in terms of studying, I felt like I had to do more and I wasn't doing as well. And I just felt like I wasn't functioning as like as highly as I am used to. So I was more worried about the fact that like I'm trying to, I'm trying harder to accomplish things and I'm not achieving the same outcome Mm -hmm. because I was having that anxiety that was just like creeping in and really affecting multiple areas of my life.
0: I I was at a, um. An event this weekend where I spoke to a a lot of people with diabetes. And first thing uh, I thought to tell you when you told me about the pump you had was that somebody pulled an animus ping out of their pocket and showed it to me this weekend. I was like, where did you get that? (laughs) Yeah, I can't believe that still works. The other thing is that I spent a lot of time trying to explain to them impacts that they'll have from things like thyroid, low iron um, hormones, things that I don't I don't believe a lot of people are even made aware of, let alone know to look mm-hmm. for when something starts happening. So and you said you said my favorite thing around thyroid, which is, and I hope people heard it, you had all the symptoms, but they look at you and said, No, oh, no, your labs are fine. So we'll just ignore the symptoms. And yeah. uh, you know,
1: I wouldn't say they ignored them. It was just, okay, we need to find out what's going on if this is not the it's answer. Something else. So and it probably took three months before I had labs rechecked again. And by that point, I was just like losing my mind. Yeah.
0: But were you in there on day one saying there's something wrong with my thyroid? No,
1: No. because like I said, I had been exercising quite a bit. I was just stressed out from being a medical student. And I mean, I had lost maybe five or 10 pounds. So it wasn't like that much. Um, It was just really... Like there was things to explain the symptoms. It just was all together. When you hear all of them now, you're like, "Duh, that's a thyroid problem." Yeah, but it is
0: maddening, right? That so many autoimmune issues all share the same core symptoms. Right. It's just really is frustrating. <laughs> you're like, you say four things, and they're like, "Yeah, that could be this. It could be this. It could be." You're like, "Great, right. big help." Okay, so you get that worked out with mm-hmm. uh, medication. Did you ever swing around? I hear stories sometimes people start graves and they'll get hypo and they'll come back again. Like, where are you?
1: So I actually, um, I was in third year of medical school about to start a rotation in surgery. And I have since decided to become a surgeon. And I knew that leading up to that, I was just not going to be able to function in that surgery rotation. If I was still having any kind of those symptoms, I was just not performing at my highest. And so I went to my first week, my endocrinologist tried the methimazole and I actually was having like an orthostatic type of response to it. Like anytime I'd stand up too quickly, I'd feel like I was going to pass out. So I didn't do too well with the medications. And she was like, well, the other option is you can do the radioactive iodine to ablate the thyroid, or we can just schedule you for surgery or get you in to see a surgeon and you can take it out surgically. And that's what I ended up choosing to do. Um, so about, I think it was like eight days after I was diagnosed. I tried the medicine for like a week and then I got in with the surgeon and then the next week we, um, I had a thyroidectomy.
0: So we take that Uh out and then we, Mm -hmm. now we supplement with Synthroid.
1: Synthroid, yes. Yeah. And
0: that works for you?
1: Um, yes, it does. I actually also just had twins about four months ago. So the, that was really fun to figure out the dose adjustment to that, um, with the Synthroid. Way up, way down? Way up. So, my base dose, which is actually higher than I would expect for my weight, was 137. And mm-hmm. I was take ended up taking up to 200 a day when I was pregnant.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a big number until you remember that the thyroid's not there at all. So, right. yeah. And you don't have to supplement with any T3 or anything. Your energy's good, I all don't. that. Well, it's excellent. I'd say
1: my energy is about as good as it can be for a m- new mom with four month old twins.
0: For a 30 year old lady that just had two babies and is a doctor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm standing up, Scott. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Most days. Yeah, most days, right? Oh, uh, that's that's really something. So I, I I guess go back a little bit. You're diagnosed as a young child. Like you mm-hmm. do you manage it yourself? Do your parents help you? How do how are the first few years?
1: First few years, it was actually I was diagnosed right around the time that uh, my parents were actually getting a divorce. Um and so I lived with just my mom at the time, and I remember. Um, she spent so much, like effort, counting out everything specifically. Like we'd have pre-portioned, like green beans in containers, and like you'd have to count everything by the exact carb. And we just were like to the T for the first few years, and then I'd say probably a year or two into it, I was like, you know, thirteen years old, starting to kind of want to do things on my own. And that's probably when I switched to the pins and I just kind of took over from that point in time. Okay, And that's, she would like check in with me. Um, but it may be more like irritable as a teenage girl to feel like she was constantly checking up on me than to just manage things on my own. So it ended up being really just me managing it from that point. And I did an okay job, um, I think retrospectively, Uh, I didn't have the Dexcom and it was, I didn't check it as much as I should, but a few times a day I would check it. I'd say it was decent numbers. Um, And then of course, every now and then you just would have highs or lows and I just treat them how I knew to treat them. And um, it's just so different now.
0: Now, were you able to take that knowledge you had from growing up in school? Were you able to take it to college and maintain your level of management?
1: Um, I'd say undergrad kind of when I uh, I'd spent my first year of college locally and commuted to college and then I transferred to a larger university and lived away from home and probably that's when I had less control over everything just because I was eating on my own eating more fast foods things like that um and just had freedom to do whatever like whatever schedule I wanted so I've probably had A1Cs up to the like eights, maybe even nine at that point in time right. for a very few short years. And retrospect being like, why was I doing? <laughs> but um, by the time I got to medical school, I was, I'd say I kept them probably around seven, which is crazy to think now because I'm doing much better control wise now. But at the time, like my endocrinologist was happy with that. And I was under the impression like that's good enough. And that's when I had gone back on pins and I didn't have the Dexcom yet. And it's just my standards now are so different from my standards then. And I felt like I was doing fine probably with – I just wasn't putting in the effort that I should have.
0: How do you think about it when you look back? Was it really like not putting in the effort or were you taxed to the point where you had to let something go and that's what you let go?
1: Uh, I think it's both because I was probably just kind of in auto mode with how – I handled the diabetes like I didn't pre-bolus like I should have. And probably that's the the main thing that I needed to do differently. I don't think my like numbers or my doses were crazy off. It was just, I wasn't always taking insulin before I ate or I wasn't always eating healthy. And then I would just either correct it how I knew to correct it or just worry about it later. Mm -hmm. So,
0: and and at that point, undergrad, you don't have a Dexcom. You said you got that in medical school, right? Correct. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, how often do you think you were testing in
1: college? I'd say probably like four times a day.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So probably anytime I ate is what it came down to. It
0: made me laugh because I thought like, what if I took your CGM right from you now and said, here, you can just test. You think you test four times a day?
1: (laughs) I'd probably test like 14 times a day. (laughs)
0: Yeah, uh, it's something how it's just a little more technology leads you to yeah to so much more. What makes you um? I mean, people come on here and tell stories all the time. Like I grew up with diabetes, and it's what made me want to be a physician or a nurse or something. Did that have any impact on you?
1: Yeah, initially I had wanted to go to medical school and be a pediatric endocrinologist, just because when I was growing up I didn't really like any of the physicians I saw. I saw some nurse practitioners as well, but just nobody really like. just didn't like them. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to be a cool doctor that's going to be, understand what's going on. And kids are going to be able to be comfortable, like telling me about their problems. And then I go to medical school, do my pediatric, pediatrics rotation. And I was like, man, these parents are really hard to deal with. Um, and then I went to like other rotations and I was like, it's just not for me to, to work with the kids. Um, I would love to be able to do just diabetes care, just, type one diabetes care for kids, but there's so many other things that come with doing peds and endocrinology that I just didn't really have interest in.
0: Yeah. So yeah, they actually diabetes is a pretty small part of their practice, right?
1: It's a very small part of the practice. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I honestly, I think that in the 16 years Arden was in a peds hospital, I don't know that we laid eyes on that doctor, maybe a half a dozen times. It's about, it's always the nurse practitioner or, you know, a CDE or something like that, that was helping you. So no, it may, that, that makes sense to me. And if you don't have the interest, then what are you going to do? Right. So you, you lean towards surgery eventually.
1: Yes. And that was just because I feel like you can, you can fix people's problems with surgery. They show up, they're like, hey, I'm having this gallbladder pain. You take the gallbladder out and they feel better. Yeah. So it's things like that. Um, It's just more of an instant gratification than some, like in medicine where you can't really fix anything unless a patient's willing to change something on their own, whether that's their lifestyle, their diet, they're willing to do exercise, things like that. And it's just, yes, you can, you can change things. I shouldn't say that, but it takes longer times and a lot more effort. And that's just not how America is. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And the failure rate's higher too, right? Right. Yeah. Hey, can you give me something called, let's see, thoracic outlet syndrome surgery? Cause I'm starting to think I might need that.
1: (laughs) Do you know, remove your first rib?
0: (laughs) My, like, for like the last 10 years, I've, I've, I have a lawnmower, right? That I have to reach out to drive. And when I do it, my left hand gets cold. And more recently, it's been, if I sleep on my stomach with my hands over my heads, my hand gets numb or cold. And now, the, <laughs> the yesterday, I was, like, pushing a cart around a store, and my hand was getting numb and, and cold. And I was, like, unbelievable. So I texted a friend of mine who's a, a different kind of surgeon. And I was, like, mm-hmm. I said, if I said that every time I raise my arms, it feels like something either in my shoulder or my elbow is, is pinching. Like, I don't, like, it doesn't feel it there, but, like, it's the only thing, like... Like, I can imagine, like, it feels like something structural is happening. And he's like, oh, it might be this. And I was like, yeah, I was hoping for something with a pill. And he goes, (laughs) (laughs) he said, yeah, there's no pill for this. And then he just sent me a big knife in text messages, which I did not find uh, comforting, but I thought he must have found amusing. By the way, Claren, I think he had... Very quick access to the knife emoji as if I'm not the first person who's received it in a text message. Anyway, I've I've not been to a doctor. I don't know if that's actually what's wrong, but um, it is really fascinating. Like if I just lift my left arm up for too long, my hand goes numb. Hmm. So, but would I look thinner without the rib or would I look silly?
1: Well, I don't think you'd look much different. Well, damn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, then what's the point? I'll just keep my arm down. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what kind of surgeries do you generally uh, do?
1: Um, so I'm still in residency. Um, oh. Basically, after my four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, I'm uh, about to start my fourth out of five years of residency, and then I'll be doing general surgery, which is um, things like gallbladders, hernias, colon surgeries. Um, that's just the kind of bread and butter. I'll do thyroids, parathyroids. thyroids.
0: Wow. Oh, uh, Things like I, amputations. Append. wait a minute. Append. Appendix, right?
1: Appendix. Sorry. Yeah, that's
0: a big one. Yeah. I'm sorry. I said, wait a minute. Cause I'm like I, uh, amputations. Yes. Oh, I see. So if someone needs something amputated, so if you're seeing a doctor for X and then, Oh, then they come back to a, to a general surgeon for something like that.
1: And it can be vascular surgery too, or orthopedic surgery, but okay. um, a lot of the times, and that's another thing that when I started medical or residency, I really was like, "Man, I got to get my diabetes in gear." Is because I was amputating so many toes and things like that, and mm-hmm. but much older people, not on people my age, but, but still, it was just seeing the complications of longstanding diabetes. I was like, "Okay, this is real." Yeah, um, yeah, So,
0: do you think that? um, Well, let me ask this first. Do you have any other diabetes in your family?
1: No, not even type two.
0: How about other autoimmune stuff?
1: I think I have an aunt with that that takes thyroid medicine, and that's pretty much it.
0: Okay, so you didn't have context for diabetes, and then no. you get it, and then when you go to, huh? So when you go to medical school, like I guess this is a question I should ask everybody who's a doctor who has type one. Like when when we all are out in the world going, it seems like they don't know anything about it. Like talking mm-hmm. to like your general practitioner, your kid's doctor, stuff like that. Is it because they really don't?
1: I'd say they know like the textbook answers of like, these are the complications that happen from longstanding diabetes. These are the numbers that generally you don't see complications with if you keep it within this range. Um, But unless it like you said, as a general practitioner, somebody who's doing endocrinology and sees this repeatedly, I'd say most doctors don't have very much information on Especially, how to manage diabetes, um, they can do like sliding scale insulin in the hospital, things like that, but the in- day in day out management is not taught typically.
0: Give me one second. here I'm going to walk you through this. Arden's doing a project at school right now. She's distressing a skirt that she's made, and so she went to <laughs> she went to the fabric store to get this tool that you use to distress like distress the skirt. and mm-hmm. they didn't have it. So I said, go to the home store and get like a lemon zester, which is basically the same thing. Yeah. And um, she said, huh. So let me see if I can figure this out. Um, Home goods type store.
1: Maybe a cheese grater.
0: Yeah. Like a cheese grater, lemon zester, or what else? Sandpaper, heavy grit. Um all right. Claren, help me. What else what else would work like that?
1: I feel like three options is enough. Yeah, right? you think so? I think so.
0: <laughs> oh no. Um oh, oh oh wait wait wait. What's the thing? Uh the thing for dry skin on your heels.
1: Oh, like uh the thing that yeah, a pumice stone?
0: Yeah, hold on a second. That's a good one. I'm sorry. We'll get back to your diabetes in you just a it, second. Actually. I think it's pumice. pumice but that's not pumice. the point.
1: It sounded weird when I said it.
0: <laughs> I just Googled heel grader and by the way came up with it. Pedicure for foot. Uh, like this. This is what parenting has turned into since you went to college. It used to be more <laughs> I used to I used to be more involved with the bigger decisions. Um All right, I've done my part. Also I also I paid for the college, so actually. There you go. Actually, you guys paid for the college, so thank you. But um yeah. I mean, that's got to be, I said, home store, like a cheese grater, lemon zester, or sandpaper heavy grit. Wait, wait, dry skin thing for your heels. <laughs> and then I sent her a picture of it. She'll figure it out. Okay. Um, otherwise, she's like picking at it with tweezers to pull it apart. And like, it's taking her for like, it's going to take her a year. So yeah. Um, anyway, she made her first, like she made like a skirt. It looks amazing. It's kind of exciting because uh, yeah. she's been talking about it for so long. All right. So Sorry. Um, I want to know about residency.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I want to know about, so, you know, yeah, doctors get like a, a textbook version of diabetes, but then if you don't go into, if you don't go, how, how is it? I guess my question is that mm-hmm. even the endocrinologist seems a little flummoxed by it once in a while. And why is it that no general practitioners seem to do a good job of explaining people's type two? I mean, if type two is so prevalent Like, wouldn't that Mm -hmm. be something you would just be able to like, I I can talk about type two with my eyes closed. Like, why can't they, I guess?
1: I think a lot of it is the the time constraints that doctors have on how much time they can spend with patients and the amount of education they can give patients and hear their side of things and understand why they're having trouble. Because, I mean, you may have a 10 minute time slot to see a patient. You have to understand what's going on with them what they're worried about how, and then explain to them, like, this is what we're going to to do to fix it. And this is your part. And this is my part. And then, okay, go out into the world and do this for a few months and come back and see me. And there's just, you can't only get so much done. And I feel like you can't understand really the, the intricacies of any disease in, in that situation.
0: It's just, it's just such an odd thing. Like you, yeah. Just, if you hear from so many people with the same issue, Mm -hmm. it's,
1: and they're also seeing a ton of other medical problems on any given day. So sure. maybe, yeah, we are seeing millions of people with diabetes, but you're also seeing tons of people with every other medical condition too. Yeah. So,
0: Oh, no, the, 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 the one thing that I think doesn't get enough attention is that it's like boggle almost. I, I imagine it like that. Like you you walk into a room and you're settled and someone looks at you and you go, okay, there's Claren." And, uh, I don't really know who she is, but she thinks I do because I'm her doctor. So now I'm going to look, I'm going to look in the thing here. Oh, oh! try to make myself ready with it a little bit. I've got 15 minutes to talk to her. And then you walk out the door. I imagine you take a deep breath and then you push down the boggle thing and your dice pop all over the place and you walk in the next door and you start over again. And it's just like, like being shook and then settled and then go. And I I don't, this, you know, I, have brought this up a couple of times and, Like, around diabetes specifically, I don't know why we do that. Instead of bringing everybody in for 15 or 20 minutes, why don't we bring 200 people in, put them in an auditorium, and talk to them all at the same time? Mm -hmm. And give them the the big picture stuff that they need in a setting where you say it once, people ask their questions, and then everybody heard it. Instead of like, and they heard the entirety of it instead of getting a tiny bit of like, well, here's the things I can remember to say this time. Mm-hmm. I just makes sense to me. I don't know if it's like a HIPAA violation problem or something, but <laughs> it just makes sense to me. Like that would make more or sense. Or just
1: convincing people to come do that too.
0: Oh, you think if they didn't think it was a doctor's appointment, they just wouldn't go to begin with. Possibly. Is, is that a burden? Like knowing that you're going to come see somebody's going to come see you and you're going to tell them the exact thing they need to do. And they're going to walk out and just not do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It would weigh on me, honestly.
1: Cause you're like, well, here's, I mean, at the same time, like I don't want to eat great and exercise all the time, but I know that's what I should do. And it's just, I feel like human nature.
0: Yeah. Like, like, does it almost feel like these things are going to just happen to some people and there's nothing you can do about it?
1: Um, Yeah, probably. Just if they're not willing to change their lifestyle. But I mean, being a resident too is, and I've been off work for maternity leave, but being a resident working 80 hours a week, eating hospital food as quickly as I can, like when I'm, when I'm working, I don't have a great diet. I don't have time to exercise. Um, and it's, you just do what you can. So you can't, you can't tell people to do something and then not do it yourself necessarily. Um,
0: it would be it would be tough if you were you were like you should go for a walk and they were like yeah you too yeah exactly <laughs> like, great exactly. great this is a lot of fun my goodness so when you're in uh residency can you describe like mm-hmm. you just said 80 hours a week but can you actually describe what what like, what a week is like
1: um yeah so monday through friday typically you wake up at like 4 4:30 go to the hospital round on your patients, check all the charts, and then depending on your cases for the day, operate or go to clinic. And that typically, sometimes you're done with actually doing the surgeries or clinic patients by noon. Sometimes it's like 5 p.m. Sometimes surgeries go all through the night. So I'd say on average, um, leaving work at like six on a an average day, five if we're really lucky. And Sometimes 9, 10 p.m. and then wake up the next day and do it again. Mm. And then for the first three years of residency, the way our schedule was set up is that every other weekend we did a 24-hour shift. So that was either Friday morning to Saturday morning and then you go home, sleep Saturday and work a day shift on Sunday. So you have a small break and then every other weekend off. Or you work a 24-hour shift on Saturday and then rest Sunday before the week restarts.
0: I was out when you said get up at 4.30. I
1: know. Yeah, It's terrible.
0: No, it's like, oh, it's okay. I'm good. People can figure out their own health.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. And that goes on for years.
1: Yeah, years. That's three years. And then the next two years that I'll finish, um, I'll do a uh, home call instead of doing the 24-hour shifts on the weekend. So I'll go in and round and then if somebody comes in and needs me, I'll go back to the hospital.
0: Does that, um, what am I trying to say? Does that, uh, like sorority fraternity thing exist? Like low man gets on by the person above them, the person above them. Does that exist too? Or does that not happen so much?
1: It's, there's kind of a hierarchy, but in, in the program that I'm in, we try to do a really good job of getting the younger residents in the OR early. So yeah, they're the ones that are going p- to be in charge of doing like all the, the wound care and the things on the floor that we don't want to do. Mm-hmm. But overall we, we try to, to get people in um, to learn how to do surgery as early as possible and share the load.
0: What are the procedures but, that you all stand in the hallway, like rock, paper, scissorsing to try to get out of?
1: Ooh, I'd say like, uh, draining like abscesses and things like that. I don't like to do that.
0: Mm made me upset when you just said it okay uh yeah yeah like just will anybody it's almost like will you trade? would you trade a shift to get out of something would you like does it turn oh, no no someone's
1: got to do it so it's just yeah. whoever's available and like you said usually lowest on the totem pole
0: yeah uh, that's that's gotta be yeah that's gotta be upsetting but you gotta
1: learn how to do it so it is what it is
0: did you ever hear the episode of the show called uh butthole adjacent
1: i think so yeah
0: yeah oh yeah. uh, that one like haunts me still <laughs> Yes, basically, just had a had something like that that just like came apart and like exploded. And I was like, "Oh my god, that's absolutely crazy!" But it's not crazy to you, right? It's just something you see a like puppy.
1: That's just something that I might do
0: on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday, that's we call that Tuesday around here. Oh yeah. my god, I just saw. Uh, I don't know what happened. Um, what what the Chinese government is trying to do to me or whoever, but the TikTok algorithm has decided that I want to see people. Um, with feet that look like rocks underneath of it be exfoliated. And I, I just want to say oh my to the algorithm, I don't want to see that. And I don't know where you got that idea from.
1: It's because you were looking at the pumice stone. <laughs> you think it got me that fast? That was really
0: fast. And uh, I just, like, I'm watching it, and all that can go through my head is something that I'm wondering if it goes through your head. How did we let it get like this? Do <laughs> you wonder that yeah. every day? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah.
1: yeah. Sometimes,
0: I just—it seems baffling, like without like description, like how could you let the bottom of your foot look like a rock? And yeah. and there's, it's just, it's fascinating. Like,
1: do I mean, it's it's pretty gross, but like we have patients come in with really nasty feet wounds with maggots on them. So it's like, how do you not notice there's maggots on your foot? But it happens.
0: Like, yeah, how do you make it to the hospital with the maggot? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right, and they're not like it's not like they have neuropathy and they can't feel it or something like that. It's just
1: uh, typically they do.
0: Oh, typically right. they do. Oh, okay.
1: If it, if it's that bad, wow. But you think you at least look? I don't
0: know. Wash it off maybe before I come. Like if yeah. I if I was going to show you any appendage at all, I would make sure it was clean and presentable before I brought it to you. <laughs> but yeah. that, but that's not the case either, is it?
1: Yeah, no. and people who have herb underserved and don't have access to health care that's a lot of the issues too mm-hmm. um okay so you can't always fix problems if you don't have the resources to do so to handle it yeah
0: i was talking to a, a hygienist just a dental hygienist and she said the number of people who come here with their teeth are dirty because they're like well you're going to clean them so why would i brush why would i brush them <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I hate going to the dentist if I've like had a snack in the car. I'm like, they're going to think I'm dirty.
0: Uh, oh my! No. Uh, I went to get like a crown done one day, and I walked in. and I said, "Hey, I'm very sorry, uh, but I need." I realized I was going to be like numb and wouldn't be able to eat afterwards, so I need like I need some floss and a toothbrush before I can come in. Like, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to like just go in there. And go like, hey, could you dig that out of there for me? <laughs> like, I <don't> know, <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, your your points. Listen, your point about having access is good but I don't know how much access you have to have to wash your foot before you show it oh, to somebody I know yeah, yeah yeah, that's something
1: no it's not not always an excuse but there are certain cases where of
0: it's just oh, I would imagine
1: probably yeah
0: um so you in your note to me you you said that there's stigma surrounding diabetes within the medical community I wondered about that
1: I, I should have read that note before I logged on to this call but um <laughs> so just in terms of like I said people who come in needing like toes amputated, there's always the stigma of like, well, they didn't take care of themselves and this is, or even with things like obesity and that's more of a type two issue, but it's just like, can you not control your diabetes enough to prevent these complications? People don't understand how difficult it is to all day long, keep your numbers within X and Y points. Um, And people just assume because I have this pump and this Dexcom that I strap it on and it controls everything for me. And it's just not the case as you well know. But yeah. I'd say even medical providers, if they're not seeing this on a daily basis, like we talked about, then they have no clue the 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 worries and the anxiety and the just the effort that goes into preventing those complications. And you may not be able to. So there's stigma that goes with that. Um and then just the amount of, of effort, like I said, they just don't Realize that this is a twenty four seven disease, and it's different for type one and type two, but the outcomes can be the same. And people may not realize that there is such a difference in type one and type mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think that that stigma leads doctors to unfairly, kind of in the back of their mind, assess people while they're talking to them? Like, do you think they can look at you as probably li- li- some
1: people? I wouldn't. Yeah. I'd say it depends on what the situation is, but it depends also like on the numbers you see, because you say you have a patient come in and their blood sugar is 400. And it's like, you automatically assume this is an uncontrolled diabetic person, but it may just be that they're sick and they've got, they're dehydrated and they've got six other things that are contributing to this number of 400. And unless you sit and talk with the patient, you're not going to be able to fully understand that. So maybe, yeah, you walk in and that's your bias that, yeah, they're probably an uncontrolled diabetic, but that may not be the case at all.
0: So if I'm an adult and I look like I'm a little overweight and I, I show up with a high blood sugar, somebody's going to think type 2 diabetes right away. Probably, yeah. Yeah. And and, and even because I, I hear these stories from people where they're sitting in that moment and they say, listen, my brother's got type 1 or my mom does. or There's a ton of autoimmune in my family. Like, are you sure this couldn't be type 1? And they go, no, couldn't be. And, yeah. then, and it always ends up being, you know, uh, I, when i hear the stories cuz of course that's who i hear from mostly but well, it's just just kind of i don't know it's interesting because you you paint an equal picture of people who are taxed you know beyond reasonability about their time and their energy they are getting you know uh, a i guess a, a a bit of information on so many different diseases like what's that saying about doctors like they have a little bit of information about a lot of things And then we like I I was most struck by thinking about being with my mom one day early in the hospital, and she's like, "I don't know where the doctor is." They said, "I don't know where the doctor is." It was early in the morning, and I thought, "Oh, they were at home trying to sleep, (laughs) right? Right? Like trying to get up enough energy to come do this thing again for twelve hours." And it's just interesting that nobody sees each other's scenario situation.
1: And another thing like that you learn in medical school, so like you say, an overweight adult coming in with high blood sugar, they teach you like if you hear hoof, hoof beats, think don't think it's a zebra, like it's more likely to be a horse, it's not gonna be this safari creature, it's gonna be the horse, so you think most likely common things are common, this is going to be type two diabetes, so I think that's just kind of part of the algorithm based learning that a lot of medicine is, especially in your training years is like, okay, if this, then this, and you have to really get experience and patient perspectives and just kind of know that, yes, this can happen. Um, even though it's less common, but that's just what medicine teaches you is common things are common. And then if that's not the answer, then you think more of the, the zebra.
0: Plus it would be, it wouldn't be like a reasonable thing to start just like, pontificating about oh it could be this or this or like it's upsetting to another person actually do you know that i'm doing the math in the last seven days uh if you hear hoof beats it's probably a horse not a zebra that's the second time i've heard that interesting (laughs) because i was with a because when i spoke last weekend i was there with somebody who um has a medical background and they were trying there you go yeah trying to describe a similar thing i and then you just said i was like wow they really do tell them that they do (laughs) I always think about the people who, like the zebras at home, who are just like nobody's listening to me, right? You know, yeah. um, they all think I'm a horse.
1: Um, <laughs>
0: anyway, uh, that's interesting. So, okay, so I understand how the stigma could lead to like people jumping to conclusions. That makes complete sense to me. Is there a? I mean, you're in a unique position, right? You're you're at the coming to towards the end of your of your residency is there these things that we talk about is this just as good as it gets or are there ways to fix this like do you do you see a way like using diabetes specifically where doctors could understand diabetes better or would it is it just too big of a a mountain to climb
1: i think one it's it is a very big mountain to climb and two there's so many different ways we can treat diabetes and so many different standards that people have for diabetes. Like we talked about like 7% and below is what people consider. Okay. Um, and that's like you say, is the don't die number. Like we want to prevent lows more than we want to prevent highs, but, um, it just kind of depends on can you reach that many people effect to be able to make them effectively manage their, Diabetes, I don't know, it, with the time constraints that you have in visits or um, within certain – I'm, like, losing my train of thought now um, – the time constraints you have within visits and in the that specific person's scenario. So what can we teach this person today um, that I can help them as with as a doctor is different than what can they – they implement on their daily routine. So there's a difference I think in what a doctor can tell you and what you can actually do. And then the question is, can you get people to implement that to actually make a difference? I don't know.
0: So then the thing that I say a lot on here is ends up being very right, I guess, which is you are really in charge of your own health. Yeah. And yeah, you can go get an answer from somebody or they can, run a test for you you don't have access to or hand you a prescription you don't have access to. But in the end, like I, I usually tell people, when you go into a doctor's office, you have to remember that you are the only one who ultimately cares about how well you are. Like, like it's yeah. not that the doctor doesn't care, but you're going to leave and they're not going to think about right. you again. And, you know, I just, I learned that watching my mom. Like, I realized how much my mom believed that doctor just knew who she was.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, I was the one looking out in the hall watching them like pour through papers trying to figure out who they were about to go talk to. And, yeah. you know, and and it's just, it's up to you. Like your health, I mean, it, it sounds obvious, right? But in a, in a society where you believe for the most part, because when you're growing up, everything that happens to you, for most people, everything that happens to you gets fixed. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like you get a sore throat and they give you a pill and your throat isn't sore anymore. And, you know, like, you, it that's the expectation, like that kind of light switch idea, like, you know, like you said, like, I want to do things I can fix. Like, you show up sick, you leave, you're not sick anymore. But that's mm-hmm. not most things. Not when, once you find yeah. serious illnesses, those are not how they work. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And everybody has an expectation of health, too. No mm-hmm. matter, no matter the amount of effort they put into their own health, everyone, exactly. ex- everyone expects it back. Right, like,
1: or they expect to be able to to Google something, and they say, "This is what I think I need," and that's a whole nother yeah topic of conversation. But
0: <laughs> I want some echinacea, and I would like yeah. uh, I want uh, an essential oil. I'm going to put on a cotton ball and uh, put it under my pillow, and I think I'm going to be fine right. after that. Right, yes. right. And yes. and when it's not that, you're saying that basically the things that can be impacted by diet or exercise or effort ends up being just something if you tell people that, and then it's a coin flip if they do it or not.
1: Right. Yeah. It really has to take, and it's, in terms of diabetes too, it has to take the person wanting to make that difference.
0: Um, you, you and having
1: that? the support and the resources to do so.
0: Like something shocking almost has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. What happens if your shocking thing is the only, uh, is the only warning you were going to get too. Right. Yeah. Well, and actually
1: on a, on kind of a related note, it's kind of, I think I mentioned that in the email I sent you as a, I guess, probably a year and a half ago. Now, I had like routine labs, I was doing really good with blood sugars, everything. Um, I think my A1C was like in the mid fives. And I was so proud of getting that number back. And then I got the rest of my labs back the next day, because my doctor called me and he was like, hey, like your kidney numbers are elevated. Like, um, just want to let you know, I think it was like the equivalent of like stage two kidney disease is the, the numbers that I saw. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like I've been healthy for I've, yeah, I've had it 18 years but I've been healthy and I don't know what to do about this. Like it got to be a fluke. And we rechecked them and they were still elevated. Mm-hmm. And I was like this is okay, this is like eye opening. Like am I having kidney problems as a 29-year-old? Um and we had talked my husband and I had talked about uh having kids at some point, but we didn't know how to do that with being in residency and having diabetes with a a difficult pregnancy that comes with diabetes. And so I um, went to see a nephrologist. Basically, thankfully, it ended up being just like an acute kidney injury from me not drinking enough water and staying hydrated while I was working. Um, But it was really, like you said, a shocking thing that I was like, okay, yeah, I am susceptible to kidney damage. I am susceptible to these long-term complications. And that's what made us to decide to go ahead and I put my training on hold for what ended up being a whole year. And decided to try to get pregnant. We magically got pregnant with twins, which was double what I bargained for. But now it's been really good overall. And it was something that I prioritized. And now I have about six weeks left before I go back to work. So Mm,
0: Wow. So you actually had that feeling where, okay, this wasn't the case this time. But I'm so hit with the reality of the fact that it could have been like, I'm going to make these babies right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. that makes sense to me. That's like one thing we, we really wanted in life. And if I would have let my job come in front of that, um, actually, I know infertility is a, a really big deal. And actually, women physicians are much, have a much higher likelihood of having infertility issues. And I was coming up on 30. I was like, I think we got to do it now. So <laughs> we did.
0: No. Was that a hard decision to make? I mean, you were so close to the oh, end. Yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um the pregnancy itself was, was very difficult, and the the main reason you have so many blood sugar issues is the hormone fluctuations, and that comes from the placenta, and with my twins, I had two placentas, so it was like double the difficulty. Mm. By the end, I probably take, or before I was pregnant, I probably took like 35 units of insulin a day, and I was taking like 130 oh, by the end of it.
0: Wow. Did you make yeah. the babies the way uh, nature intended, or did you
1: yes uh, yeah and these,
0: yep. and you got twins
1: and we got twins
0: oh geez yeah were you happy yeah. about that i would have been like uh-oh I don't we, want were, want. we were
1: just shocked <laughs> yeah. now we're happy most of the time but most it's been time. it's been very difficult and we live eight hours away from our closest family
0: i'm just so. thinking that if you're lucky because i'm hearing your husband's a doctor too Oh, no. No? Oh, okay. I felt like you said residency, like we were both in it, but you just... You're... Well,
1: I, it kind of does feel like we're both in it, because just... he has to deal with me, too.
0: <laughs> so just about the time you get done paying for your uh, degree, you should be able to pay for two kids to go to college at the same time.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. I will probably still be paying for my degree.
0: That'll be great. She should uh... get a podcast, because that helped me with my daughters. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there you go, with all my
0: free time. Yeah, by the way, uh, too many people have podcasts. It's enough, okay? Like, yeah, like,
1: I don't plan on making a podcast. We
0: all got it covered now. I wasn't talking to you, I was talking to the people listening, in case they get like a yeah. wild hair up there. They're like, I'm going to make a, just stop. It's good, I got it covered, you're fine. <laughs> I mean, how many people I got to fight with over this podcast thing? But no, that's, okay, so I do want to hear about the pregnancy, obviously. I got a little lost asking about your job, but. Um, it's okay. Yeah, so uh, you said it was difficult. Was it e- so start at the beginning? Easy to get pregnant?
1: Yes. What was your too easy for it too apparently?
0: <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, did you, I thought you meant too easy. Like you only got to try once, but
1: we did only try
0: once. Oh, your husband must have been pissed about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. you too. I don't know. Maybe he's great at it. And you were like, oh, so uh, that's what it is. Yeah. Well,
1: he, he's like. He's a very like athletic, he's 6'6, 250 big guy and he was kept telling me like I'm going to have this NFL playing son like going to be going to be the best, you know, I'm going to be this sports dad and we go and uh we find out that we're having twins and that they're both girls. Yeah, of so course. He's got two little princesses now to he's he's going to turn them into college golfers. That's his now. That's his plan. <laughs>
0: that's his new goal. Yeah.
1: Tell him college I, golfers.
0: tell him I watched the kid play college sports and honestly I don't even know if I would tell you to do it. I can't I, yeah. can't I can't even wrap my head around whether it's a good idea or not yet.
1: Well, it's just so they can get scholarships. Because he thinks that as long as they're decent at golf and women, then they can get a scholarship.
0: I don't think he's wrong. My son, I don't think he's wrong yeah, either. Yeah, my son saved a fair amount of money playing baseball. So, yeah. um, but the rest of it's just like, I might have given it all away and. I don't know the stuff we did to get him to that point. Like, yeah, yeah that's what will end up happening. Is, trust me, the money you save on college, you'll have spent teaching them how to play golf. And
1: Well, he also wants an excuse to go golfing. Uh,
0: yeah, that's what I was assuming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe they'll be really tall. Like, I mean, how tall
1: is he? 6'6". Six, six. How tall are you? 5'3". Well,
0: oh, that must be hilarious. <laughs>
1: it's, it's a little hilarious.
0: <laughs> did you, uh, Is he the first tall guy you dated?
1: Uh, yeah, and I actually, I hit on him. At a bar and apparently, and I was a little tipsy at the time, just enough to where I was like fun and went over to him and I said, Hey, tall boy, do you like pizza? And we went and got pizza that night and, uh, ended up just like talking for hours. And then he he was on family vacation, visiting his family in Florida where I lived. And the next day he's like, Hey, we exchanged numbers. He's like, you want to come over and like watch football at my parents' condo, whatever. And I was like, you know what? This goes against everything I know, but sure, let's let's do it. So I went over there and his parents had gone to a movie but came home early, so I met his parents the next day. And uh then we dated long distance and 6 months later moved um together to start residency and now we're married and have twins. Oh, well,
0: that's crazy. You met his parents you were wearing your pants when that happened, right?
1: Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> that's,
0: that's very nice. By the way, you you named the episode
1: Wearing My Pants?
0: No, Hey Tall Boy.
1: Hey tall boy, <laughs> do you what, like
0: pizza? Yeah, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> Unless you that's come good. up with something else, I really like. I like that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's just like I don't. I mean, I, I always say to people, I dated girls your like your height my whole mm-hmm. my my the whole time I was young, and then I meet my wife one day and she's like my height, and mm-hmm. and there are times now as an adult I'll go do like events and stuff and people like by the way I. Like, it's very lovely that you want to take pictures, but I'm not very comfortable with how I photograph, but people are like, take a picture with me. So I'm doing that all the time. And I'm standing next to women who are shorter again. And I have this feeling, I'm like, oh, this is what my life would have been like had I not found a tall girl to marry. And yeah. like, I, I feel tall and I never feel tall in my life. And I was like, this, what have what happen? Your husband must feel like a giant is my point, <laughs>
1: right? Especially holding these babies.
0: Oh my gosh! He's I like, imagine. they're so
1: small. Like, you're, yeah, you're two, just all also massive. Two fifty. Yeah, about two fifty. Are
0: his hands like the size of your face? Yeah, probably. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! Well, that's very cool. So you, get, so anyway, you get—I almost said knocked up—and then I said it anyway. But you get pregnant really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yes. you get pregnant really quickly, and then what becomes difficult about the pregnancy?
1: Just the. Constant shifts in how to manage blood sugar because you know they want uh, ideally a blood sugar less than one hundred and twenty and above sixty five. Really, they they say it's okay to be under one hundred and forty after meals, but that doesn't take into account that you're constantly changing insulin doses. So I would go probably every two days, every three days, I was making an adjustment on either changing my basal, changing a carb ratio changing a correction ratio, something like that. And I basically just did it myself for the eight months I was pregnant. Um, And it was certain foods would impact it differently. And it was just constant paying attention. And I hadn't been doing that as tightly as I could have because I'm on the control IQ with Tandem and I do it in sleep mode. Um, And it does a pretty good job of keeping me in range. And I basically was able to stay on that for the first trimester. And then by the end of the first trimester, I was having to go back to the manual pump mode because I just wasn't able to keep low enough numbers yeah. with the loop technology with tandem. How, so, how,
0: how frequently did you end up giving yourself an amount of insulin and you're like, Oh God, that was too much.
1: I don't think the too much was an issue. It was mostly not enough hmm. because as, as I went on, I was just, I became more carb resistant and that was the main issue. And I, we had like an exercise bike at home and my husband always, he tries, gives me credit for it. He's like, if your blood sugar was like skyrocketing in the middle of the night, he's like, you would get out of bed and go ride that bike until you could get it down. Just because I felt, and that was another thing that brought me new anxiety was, I just felt like I was hurting these babies, even though retrospectively they were totally fine. And I I know that I was being silly, but pregnancy hormones can get the best of you. Oh
0: uh, Yes, he, he's giving you credit for it and you're being drug out of the bed by your by your hormones, right? You're not even like, right. you're like, I have to go. I'm, I, and Oh, that's something. I, I actually felt like, like that felt nice because, even though it it sounds like you were tortured by it, the idea of it was nice because I thought, I bet you she wouldn't have done that for herself. Right. Like, I bet if you weren't pregnant, you wouldn't have jumped out of bed and been like, I'll go for a walk to bring my blood sugar down for me. Right. But you would do it for right. them. Yeah. Right. That's so human. It like, gets such a, a constant through all of these conversations that I've had and people that I've mm-hmm. met like, but you can't get anybody to do anything for themselves, but you put somebody else in the way of it and then people jump right through, they become heroes. It's mm-hmm. interesting. So the biggest problem is just the insulin fluctuation more and more and more. Yeah. Um, how soon they say, I hear people say, I delivered the placenta and it oh, all, yeah. and it all went back. Is that about how it went?
1: Yes, I took, I think it was like 128 units of insulin on the last day I was pregnant. And then the first day I was not pregnant, I took six units.
0: My gosh, that's crazy. We're not
1: crazy? And I just put the the pump back in the control mode so it would suspend basal if I was going to go low. And Mm -hmm. it had given me a total of like six units over 24
0: hours. Wow. When you tried to use uh, Control IQ during the first trimester, did you have Mm -hmm. to expand like the max basal and max bolus numbers so it could work?
1: I did. And i followed one of the Facebook pages that like gives you all the tips on how to keep your number lower on the control IQ. Mm-hmm. So I was already kind of doing that in preparation to get pregnant. Um, but it was, it was a lot of tweaking yeah. <laughs> and I don't even know what I did at this point in time. I just know that I like kept a little journal and was like, okay, my blood sugar was high at this time of day, like two or three days in a row time to do more basil.
0: Mm. So so a nine-month science experiment, and you're not sure what you're going to be working on every day when you wake up. Right, yeah. right. Do you stay home for the whole nine months?
1: I was working through the majority of the first trimester just to finish out the year of work, and then I was home for probably three to four months, maybe up to five months, and um, I delivered them at almost 37 weeks.
0: Uh, C-section, natural?
1: Yeah, C-section. Yeah, I
0: was going to say. It's a lot of babies. How much did they weigh? Yeah.
1: They were five pounds, eight ounces, and five pounds, four ounces. Oh,
0: it's lovely. Did you name them after me any chance? Oh, no.
1: I did not. That's okay.
0: Nope. Don't worry about it. Somebody will one day.
1: <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but they're they are healthy and didn't need to go to the NICU or anything like that. They did have some one of them had issues with low blood sugar for about twenty four hours. Um and that resolved. So
0: How long did it take you till you worried about whether they'll have diabetes one day?
1: Oh, I was worried about that from like the time I got pregnant, but, and that's right now I'm trying to, I technically am pumping, but giving them breast milk. Um, they were because they were preemies and I don't know what issues exactly brought this about, but they were never really able to latch to breastfeed directly. Mm -hmm. So I exclusively pump breast milk for them, which is about four hours of my day, I spend attached to a pump. Oh, um, that's yeah, lovely. It's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, that's lovely. Oh my gosh, oh it's my, insane. Because there's two of them.
1: Yeah, because yeah. it's so much, <sighs> and uh, they drink I think about sixty ounces of milk a day between the two of them. Have
0: you told them to ease which up? Is a lot. Yeah. Have you said, look, why not thirty?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's like the high end of normal for one baby is thirty. So I have I have plenty of milk for one baby. is what well, is that um, something? Just because there's like that one study that shows that babies who have breast milk have a decreased risk of type 1 diabetes. And I know that's like one specific population and one specific scenario. But in my head, if I can do this for them and it gives me any chance, then that's what I'm going to do.
0: How long do you think you'll do this for?
1: Um, I'll go back to work when they're about six months old. So at least six months. And then I'll try to keep it up at work. And um, the end goal would be a year, but We'll see how it
0: goes. Wow. If you do that for a year, I'll send you an award of some sort. I
1: know. Yeah. That's I crazy. need an award.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you need an award. You need. It sounds like your nipples need a break is what you need.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they need an award.
0: That's, exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I, I only bring this up because I just um, getting ready next week to put up an episode about it. Uh 26 year old girl came on she's type one. Uh, she had a baby and. Uh, five, six months after she had the baby, like, you know, she's like, I know people told me about the baby blues, but she got real like serious postpartum. Mm-hmm. And, and I was wondering how you prepare yourself for like looking for that.
1: I think it's going to be really hard when I go back to work because I have been home with them. So I see them all day, every day, which part of me is like, it's going to be nice to go back to being like a real functional adult in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other part is, I know I'm really going to miss them. So I have to... Like you said, just kind of take this in as I'm here and home with them and prepare myself for to let myself feel like I'm setting example for them. Like, okay, you can be a mom and a surgeon and have diabetes and do all these other things. And it's ultimately going to be an example for my babies to grow up and they can do whatever they want to do
0: on the off chance they can't become professional golfers.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah.
0: Although I Which gotta,
1: is obviously going to
0: happen. I, I'm just telling you, if they're half as tall as your husband, they, they've got a great shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really something. Yeah. Her story was just it. It didn't. It came on slowly. It started as, and she, she said there was this moment, like your episode's going to come out after hers, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know at this moment as I'm talking about, I don't know what it's going to be called yet, um, but you should go listen to it because Mm -hmm. she had this, like she walked away from the baby one time and the baby just got a bug bite. And that like simple thought of like, I left the baby alone and it got bit by a bug. By the way, the bug bite was fine. It didn't hurt the baby at all. It just sent, it sent her cascading down like a rabbit hole of, I can't let the baby alone. Something's going to happen. Like, and then the, the thoughts got intrusive and she couldn't get away from them. And by the end, she, um, she said the first serious thought she had was I'll just like 20 minutes. She she started getting the idea that her family would be better off without her and, and that she was failing the baby and that all this stuff was happening. And I mean, it's just heartbreaking to listen. She's fine. It is heartbreaking. She, she's fine now. Um, yeah. And she said that uh, she said she was thinking through just waiting for 20 minutes before her husband got home and just putting the baby in the crib because she's like, I know the baby would be OK for 20 minutes, and then just leaving and and then um her husband was a police officer and she said one day she has no idea how it happened but she found herself standing next to the the piece of furniture that he keeps his weapons in like considering mm. considering killing herself like That's scary. A- out of nowhere and then she just kind of like obviously didn't do it and then she was like oh my god that was that was bizarre and then she started looking for help but she yeah. sa- she said looking backwards that she had um, she's like, I, in you know, hindsight, there was plenty of time I should have known I, I was in trouble. And she's like, I just couldn't, like, it didn't feel like depression. It felt like I was failing the baby. And so that mm-hmm. oh, was just terrible. Like, and she's 26 and you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, I don't know. It's just crazy. Um, anyway, be careful. Cause I have a soft spot for this this week. So please. I don't, yeah. yeah. I don't want to hear anything. I will. Yeah. And my,
1: my husband's wonderful and he's very, um, good about communication and checking in with. with me and making sure i'm good so i have a wonderful support system and if
0: diabetes comes for the girls he can just scare it away yeah (laughs) is he one of those big gentle guys or if i bumped into him in the street would i find myself apologizing to him immediately when i saw no he's
1: he's a big softy
0: oh lovely but he's
1: very i mean he looks like he could be intimidating
0: though yeah i have a i have a brother-in-law that like he just he looks like he could grab you by your face and just like move you, and like I, Andy's the nicest guy. You know what I mean. So, um, all right. I want to ask you at this point if there's anything that we haven't spoken about that you wanted to.
1: I don't think so. I think we kind of hit the main things.
0: We did it because you you alluded to an email, and I have to admit, I was like, mm, I don't remember that email. <laughs> so I was, I
1: was, it was just like the initial thing about like, oh, tell me about you coming on the podcast. Oh, cool. But okay. I I forgot that that was like six months ago now. So. Yeah.
0: Can I ask a question of you, which mm-hmm. is a weird thing to say, because I think I've been doing that the whole time. But um, you've said a couple of things throughout the show that make me feel like you listen to this. Mm-hmm. You do. Is it, how is it listening to this podcast and being a doctor at the same time?
1: I think they're just, they're two separate things in my head. And I, I listened to it, one, for just, like, people's stories. I did listen to all, like, the pro tips and all that, mm-hmm. probably Two three years ago, at that this point in time, um, but now it's just kind of something I'll listen to to hear about other people's stories, and it like like you said, I'll listen to this the girl that um, dealt with the postpartum anxiety and depression, and just be able to relate to that. So I see it more as like a community than from a medical perspective. I feel like the medical stuff I've kind of figured that out to what works for me at this point in time. And some of that did come from the podcast, but it's more of just, I like to, to hear how other people are living and
0: yeah
1: how they're making it.
0: So you can kind of leave your white coat at the door to listen to it. Is that the vibe?
1: I think so. Yeah. yeah.
0: Because there was a moment, I said something very, like an hour ago and there was like, a, it wasn't harsh, but there was a second where you like took up arms for doctors. I don't remember what the context, <laughs> what the context was anymore. And, and it was very reasonable what you said. And I agree with you, even. Uh, but I'm, you know, if I'm coming from a perspective on this side, I'm usually coming from the perspective of the type one when I'm talking. Like, mm-hmm. trying to, like, stick up for them. And I have heard from doctors, like, that they don't, they don't they think of it as, like, doctor bashing. And, yeah. you know, and I, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's just people's experiences. You know what I mean? And what I think is common sense responses to them. And so... I I think there's
1: also a difference in what how a doctor interacts with a patient and the way they perceive the interaction and how a patient perceives the interaction with the doctor. So sometimes a doctor may tell you you should do this, this, and this, and the patient hears it one way versus the doctor, which is different than the doctor hears it. So unfortunately, I do think a lot of medicine is practiced defensively just because you have to. You have to protect yourself from a legal standpoint and you have to follow the criteria for these are the numbers that keep people healthy long-term and things like that. So there is a lot of algorithms based things that come with it. And then the, the personal side of it can be interpreted, I think from one perspective or the other. So
0: that's cool. I, I, I think that that's why sometimes when you suggest something to a doctor, they go, yeah, sure. But they wouldn't have suggested it to you. Like now that you brought mm-hmm. it up, that's fine. I couldn't say it. But now that you said it, sure, we can give you Synthroid for a 2.5 uh, a TSH. No problem. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't going right. to suggest it. It's, um... right. Be- Go ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, that's. I was just
1: agreeing.
0: Oh, oh perfect. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that was sarcasm, which is just between you and I because of what we talked about before we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really do... Uh, genuinely appreciate you doing this and congratulations on being 30 and the babies. And I hope it's not too hard for you when you go back to work.
1: I did. I do have one really weird thing that happened to me while I was pregnant. I don't know if this happened to anybody else, but it was the the day before my 30th birthday, driving down the road and listening to music in my car. And then I realized I can't hear very well uh, out of one of my ears. And, um, I texted one of my friends who works in ENT and I was like, Hey, is this like a pregnancy thing? Like, is this normal? And she was like, Well, it can be related to pregnancy, but it's pretty rare. Um, can also be X, Y, Z, other things. You should go see an ENT like urgently because you need to treat it if this is what it is. So I text a, a local ENT and he's like, Sure, come in tomorrow. And I go in and I realized that I'm missing like 75% of the hearing in my right ear. Hmm. And I was like, What's going on? Like, is this a pregnancy thing? Is this a hormone thing? And he's like, well, maybe. But basically what they did is they treated it by putting a steroid injection into my eardrum. I had that done twice and my hearing did not come back. So the ultimate thing we've come up with is it's either related to pregnancy. It can be an autoimmune thing. It's called sensorineural hearing loss. Or it could just have been like a virus that got my ear. Mm -hmm. Um, or just idiopathic and nobody really knows why. So that's another thing the the babies took from me was (laughs) the ability to hear out of my right ear.
0: And the comfort of your nipples. Yeah. I hate to say this, but did they image your brain?
1: They have not, but it's pretty... I shouldn't say common, but this is the only symptom I'm having. I don't have any other symptoms. And I had a brain MRI, actually, when I was having the weird grave symptoms, okay. which was normal. So again they they discussed it. No, I, I mean, I had the same thought as you. Yeah. Um, they discussed it, but they are like, yeah, it's just this happens. It can be something as simple as a virus. And if I if I have any other issues, I'm sure I'll follow that. But yeah. for now, I'm okay and too busy to... <laughs> to think about
0: that I you know it's funny how my i've such a strange life i come to realize like you said that and i was like like two weeks ago i recorded with a lady who had a a benign brain tumor and she couldn't hear anymore in one ear and like that's Mm -hmm. that's like what popped into my head like i don't think i would have thought that had i not ever spoken to her obviously Mm -hmm. i'm not a doctor but um that's oh that's crazy so 75 percent loss how what's the impact on your day
1: um, I'm mostly used to it now, but if I'm in a room with like multiple people, I have a really hard time focusing on which one person's talking. Hmm.
0: Any chance it comes back?
1: Uh, I had my hearing checked about a month ago, uh, and it was the same. So hmm. I doubt it. No, I'm sorry. It's, it's just annoying. It's not that big of a deal.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, but 10 years from now when the kids are acting crazy, you can be like, I, know. I am partially deaf in my one ear because of you <laughs> now sit yeah, down. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's not good parenting. But you'll do it eventually. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of a parent do you think you want to be?
1: We want I, I want them to know they're loved, but I want them to also be able to follow the rules and just like be respectful of other people and want to to pursue whatever interests they have, I guess I should say. Nice.
0: That's lovely. I just find the kids knowing that you've got their back is a big part of it. Oh, absolutely. Not even a thing you have to say out loud, really. I mean, you can and you should, but I mean, just that knowledge of like, I can take a step and if it doesn't go right, it's okay. Like, it's okay to be kind of adventurous and and bold and stuff like that.
1: My husband actually says that quite a bit. That's the one thing he wants for them is to know that for them to know that he's always He's always going to be there to love them and no matter what they
0: do. Yeah, I definitely want to stay alive long enough to see the first boy that comes to the door to pick up one of your daughters. And that, got, and that, <laughs> and that mountain opens the door, ruins that kid's yeah. night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, hello, sir. I, you know, I don't even want to take her out anymore. Never mind. <laughs> like, I'm just going to tell her goodbye. <laughs> I'm going to go now. Uh, that's, yeah. that's really something. Uh, good for you. Well, congratulations. It's uh, Thank you. I mean, you know he got through a lot to to have them and and I mean just the idea of getting through medical school like I don't know how anybody's a doctor yeah I mean like, like honestly like I don't understand why like after you start telling me about I mean not to bum you out but I'm sure you're obviously already aware of this a friend of mine's a physician like malpractice insurance alone mm-hmm. I, I don't know what w- what you're doing that's so expensive and yeah. th- and then um you know all the all the things you've just kind of like detailed about why this could be you banging your head against the wall for the next 30 years and trying to help <laughs> help people. And, uh, it's just, and the time I just, I was having a conversation today. Uh, I, I don't want to bum anybody out, but a, a friend passed away. I was at a Memorial today. And, um, a lot of the boys that my son played baseball with in college were there. And, um, my son can't be there cause he's out of state. So I'm sitting and getting you know, back in touch with all the kids and talking to them again. And the one is like, I don't know what to do. Like, there's just, he, he wants to work in mental health and he's got a job already in that space, which he thinks is going to help him get into grad school. But he's like, I might want to get a doctorate in this. And he's like, I think I might need to to do the thing I want to do, but I won't be into the world until my early 30s if I do that. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I, I'm watching him go through it in his mind. And he's like, I just don't know if I want to give my twenties away. And I can't tell. He's like, maybe I should just get a master's and just go a different direction. And like, he didn't, He's a bright, lovely kid. And he just he doesn't know what to do. You know? Yeah. Um, it's a lot of time is my point. Like it, just, it
1: is a lot of time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still not done and I'm 30 and yeah, it'll be a few more years from now.
0: And hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. That all sounds fair. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Jeez, my gosh, there's got to be a better way than that, right? Uh, for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Can you hold course, on one thank second? You. Oh, no, it's my mm-hmm. pl- my pleasure. Can you hang on one second for me?
1: Sure. Cool.
0: Let's thank Claren. Let's thank Dexcom. Let's thank AG1. Drink AG1.com slash juicebox. Dexcom.com. And, of course, Claren, for coming on the show and sharing her story with us. Don't forget to check out the private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. We're coming up on 44,000 members. You could be one of them. And please, 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 Apple Podcast listeners, open up the app. Go into the library. Click on Juicebox Podcast. Go up in the top right corner. Click on the three dots. Hit Settings. Go down to the Download Stuff. Choose Download All Episodes. You are going to save my bacon if you do that and save your podcast. Thank
1: you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast.